HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cooking Issues is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, an employee-owned company that has been offering organic stone ground products for decades. Their flours and whole grains are the highest quality and are minimally processed at their stone mill in Oregon. Visit bobsredmill.com to shop their huge range of products. Use Cooking Issues 25 for 25% off your order. I'm one of HRN's interns, Nina Medvinskaya, with a preview of the next episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. This week's topic, the marriage of food and danger. Sometimes, danger lurks in the food that we eat. So instead of saying what is poisonous, I'd rather say what's not, because it's literally just the flesh and the fins. Food poisoning doesn't just threaten our bodies but it endangers our environment as well. The emissions of JBS combined with the other top five meat companies exceed the annual emissions of Exxon, Shell, or BP. For more, tune into this week's Meat and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from, I don't know, what the hell time is it now? Oh, jeez. To about one o'clock from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Joined, as usual, with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. How, how you doing? Good. Yeah? Got Matt in the booth. How you doing? Hey. And we're, and we're joined from the radio mothership. We got Kat in the studio to talk about, I don't know, I don't know, what are you here to talk about? Our end of year drive. Okay. But first, should we talk about the gala? So, a couple of things about the gala. For, for those of you that have listened to this podcast before, there's a couple of things that Nastasia enjoys. The suffering of others <laughs> it is you know, maybe the, the highest one, right? <laughs> uh, but just below that is this creation that she and Piper, who used to work with us, uh, made years ago called the, the Wine Santa. Now, for those of you that don't know what the wine Santa is. It is a Santa Claus mannequin in outfit, right? With a tube running through its body out of its mouth and it continuously, one might say spits if you're in a fountain mode. One might say vomits up wine into a bowl and then it goes, it drains and it just keeps circulating. So you're supposed to stick your cup underneath and just, you know, partake of Santa's, you know, Spirits. Spirits. <laughs> so 
you know, one year Nastasia had a uh, friend of the show, Phil Bravo, with a with a deep voice, uh, you know, saying, "Oh, I shouldn't have had so many cookies," and like the wine would come out. This year, Nastasia has decided that she's going to use uh, one of these. Uh, it's like a very large version of those little flower pots where when you play music, the plastic flower dances. So imagine that, but on a Santa scale, on a human Santa scale. So Santa moves back and forth, and she can play whatever music she wants, and it's vomiting up wine the whole time. And See, I didn't know that wine Santa danced until uh, the night of the gala. Yeah. And it was a delightful surprise. Uh, okay, so <laughs> Nastasia also, like, I, like perennially refused to help her until the last <laughs> minute. So she tried to make one by herself. Until it's too late. Until it's too late. Well, no. And so then she forces me to waste my time anyway and do it, even though I'm horrified by the whole idea. So, and horrified is the term that's going to come up later. So she makes this wine Santa, <laughs> and instead of constructing, when I, I looked at it first, she's like, how should I do this? I'm like, you need to build a large enough base so that the bowl, when the bowl is, and I would support the bowl because otherwise it's going to be a tipping hazard. She's like, I don't care, whatever. So she gets two, like, super weak PVC. This could not look more, this could not look more, like, little rascals, like, you know. I carried that thing out of there, and it was not secure. Yeah, yeah. So it's got these two, like, red spray-painted PVC ski poles down to its base, which, by the way, note to everyone out there designing things for structural purposes, like, Putting a pole to the base does not increase the size of the base. <laughs> you like you cannot prevent something by from tipping by not increasing the size of the base. So anyway, so here Santa is. Not only is it is this giant punch bowl cantilevered way out. She of course also hasn't tested it prior to this. Uh, I did. You did not. Yes, I did. This was a different unit. You did not. You had never plugged in the unit yes, that I we did. brought to the thing. Yeah, I did. You said you hadn't because no, I had. none of the screws or anything fit. No, the, the bowl have, didn't fit. The bowl was twisting around and tipping uh, in every direction. Well, once you took out that little piece and it was flowing faster than it was when it was. Had but the that. bowl was still tipping anyway. So it has like so many untested things. So it's at the Heritage Radio thing. We're filling it with red wine. This is at the gala, which was a fun event, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So she fills it with red wine. Uh, we get it going. Uh, we have. To, she makes me go out to a hardware store. Hours I have to think about this crap, and like get a screw to screw the bowl into Santa's chest, into Santa's sternum, so that the bowl won't <laughs> flip around. So violent. Yeah, and uh, one of the event organizers, I don't even remember who. Uh, I don't know whether they were on the Brooklyn Botanical Garden side or on our side. Anyway, I I'm walking behind her because I have to get napkins to continuously wipe up the dripping red wine all over the floor. And the giant splash of red wine, which, thank God, did not get on the felt plant art that was all over the wall. It almost did, and I spent Tuesday cleaning wine off the wall. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So anyways. It was, it was not bad. So this, this lady is walking. I'm walking behind her, and she goes, that's horrifying. <laughs> I want it 86th. <laughs> and then the guy from the botanical garden was like, I don't know if we can, you know the guy I'm talking about. I don't know if we can 86 it. They brought it. It's from the people. <laughs> anyway, so she's like, ah. So they pull wine Santa. We drain the wine out. And they say, you can't bring wine Santa back out until 9 p.m. Okay. So at 8.30, Nastasia's like, it's 9 somewhere. <laughs> and she goes. She and first of all, there are pictures of this wine Santa, which looks all beat up, like all like silicone glue and spray paint. Nightmare. 
and it's turned against the wall like it's being punished in elementary school. <laughs> she goes, she, there's pictures. So she goes, she pulls it out. This time, Jack Schramm from, you know, uh, uh, Existing Conditions, he's like, let's fill it with vodka instead. And so, Thank God for Jack Schramm. Well, I mean, horrifying in a different way. A warm vodka spout is hard gross. Yes, but it was with, a good with decision. the remains of the Malbec that you had had in it earlier. <laughs> just hard, nasty all the way around. So they turn it on. It's, I don't know, some form of cool in the gang or something they're playing. Santa's dancing. All of a sudden, you see Santa's like, oh. <laughs> so Santa starts, Santa all of a sudden's like, I can't do this anymore. Blah. And Santa just starts tipping forward. So Steve and Hoppy from uh, uh, La Penultima, who came to the event, he's standing next to Santa. He's like, I'm going to save this. Only Santa had already crossed like oh, the yeah. 30 to 40 degree oh, tilt. Yeah. So he iron palms Santa in the chest. As he iron palms Santa in the chest, Santa's head flies right <laughs> off. Santa's head just goes tumbling through the air, flying across the hallway. And then, and then... Like, just goes around Steve's hand and just hits the ground and then keeps on dancing in a pile of his own vomit and and vodka. Like, but at least it was like, vodka. And, like, you can't see on the radio because it's not a visual medium, but just imagine your hands just slowly pumping back and forth while your face, well, not even face down, doesn't have a face anymore, head <laughs> fell off. Like, chest down, dying in your own pool of vodka blood and vomit. And that was the wine set. So then, the next day, Nastasi's like, so you're going to help me build that again? I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah, version 2.0. Or 9.2. Anyway, so like, whatever. So I'm like, you know what? So no, she's, this is how Nastasia gets you. This is how terrible <laughs> Nastasia is. Nastasia says, I have all of the things. She doesn't talk like that. She's right here. You know what she talks like. She's like, I have all of the things we need to build it. Pasta flyer. I'm like, you have nothing that pasta the flyer with which to build this. She plans on building it out of spaghetti. She's like, I have a hand auger and like a and like a screwdriver. I'm like, listen. And so like I'm like, and then she's gonna take Jack Schramm, the head bartender from Existing Conditions, and waste his free time. He wanted to do it. What? What? He did not want it. You force people in, and then you say they want to do it. No, no. Don't anyone say I wanted to do this. I never want to hear that I wanted to do this. So I'm like looking at her. And at Jack, and I'm like, you're both idiots. Neither of you, A, have the skills to do this. Neither do you have the tools. So we went to New Lab with a shop that Booker and Dax, you know, has a, is a member of. And we had to build it. But then we ran out of materials. Oh, God. So we stole some. Well, we didn't steal. Oh, God. Unlabeled wood uh-huh. is community property. But this guy had just brought it in there. He was still there, but he was working on something else. So I was like, eh. Literally, how long did it take me to turn that thing into pedestals? Five minutes. <laughs> I took a four by eight sheet and I was like, crap on it. Stable gun. And like, with, like, it's all there. You know what I mean? And like, the guy was like, he literally turns around and goes, hey, nice pedestals. Where's my wood? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so we had to buy him wood. And now Anastasia wants me to make more because someone rented. Here's what she says. Dave, this is going to be big money. I'm like, first of all... <laughs> for one month a year. No, and first of all, I was like, oh, really? You've made three this year. It's cost, like, it's cost eight years off my life in terms of the anger scale, plus, like, my actual time, 
money, her time that she could have been spending, I don't know, selling freaking Searsalls and centrifuges, stuff like this, getting more of them made. Instead, we're doing this. I was like, oh, how much grand total did you make this year? Well, I'm nothing this year. This is like the fourth year of just, you know, building up interest. <laughs> Next year is when the real money comes. This year's been the year of the Instagram for Wine Santa. Uh, <laughs> okay, but wait. You feel that? That's a grassroots campaign oh, yeah. building. It's true. Yeah. Okay, but before it's more you, like a burning savanna. Before you talked about Wine Santa, you said that Nastasia's favorite thing was making people suffer. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah, tell this story. This is awesome. Oh. So... About two weeks before the gala, I go to Existing Conditions to chat with Dave and be like, what cocktail are you going to make? I brought the tequila, the mezcal for the cocktail. Just making sure everything's going well. You had texted me and said, I'm going to be late for the gala. I have an event at the bar. And I was like, no, please no. I told you the date in March for this reason. So you made me very, you made me nervous. The most anyone has ever spent on a buyout at the bar, like, and they were like, "We're doing this because we really like the cocktails and the attitude you have towards <laughs> drinks." I was like, Argh. "All right, go ahead." Sure, sure, and I respect that, uh-huh. but yeah, yeah, sounds I, like it. I really, I really needed you at the gala. Uh-huh. So you made you were making me nervous, and I was like, "No, it's gonna be fine." Day, you reassured me. You were like, I know how to show up and make drinks somewhere. And I was like, that's all I need. Which is true right. fact. It's true, true fact. And oh, and, and that day we figured out we were going to do a frozen cocktail and we got a frozen drink machine. It yeah. was all looking great. Which worked really well, by the way. Loved it. Those yeah. were delicious. I had too many. So good. Go. I think a lot of people had too many. We made frozen Corsairs for those that are interested. Which frozen. is a preserved lemon. Preserved lemon drink. So the spec at home is you make partially clarified. In other words, don't make it fully clear. Take preserved lemons, blend it completely the juice the lemons with the pith and everything blend it spin it out but don't make it fully clear it's uh and it's one and a half tequila we usually use tequila one and a half tequila half of that preserved lemon half of lime half of simple syrup uh some spice shake it up that's of course there we made a frozen version go ahead so i you know i was a little nervous but i trusted you i knew you're gonna be there and i knew nastasia was gonna be there with wine santa i've been talking to her and rebecca about that and it's like you said you would be there at like three. It's maybe four, and I get a text from Nastasia. I'm at the bar with Dave. He wants to know what time to load in at the garden tomorrow. I'm <laughs> at the garden. I am waiting for you to all of you to arrive. And I knew Jack was coming with you, so I texted her back and I was like, "Sorry, I was a little bit snippy, Nastasia, but I was like." This doesn't make sense. I had like all the like text messages, all the emails. I double checked everything to make sure I'd never put the wrong date in. I'm just like having flashbacks to like managing Momofuku chefs of like what's gone wrong, right? And and you don't she doesn't respond. Yeah, She's like, funny. oh shit. She go, oh shit, that's it. And then no, I no, call you gotta you. say it right. Oh, oh shit. shit. <laughs> See, I didn't have that context. I was, like, I was like, what's her inflection? What does she mean? Dave's yeah, family show, you gotta believe that. Yeah. Well. So, um, so then I, I call, I'm trying to call Dave. I'm trying to call Anastasia. Anastasia's no like, answers. don't answer it. And then I call Rebecca, Rebecca Palkovic, who works with you guys. And I'm like, I talked to her that morning. So I was like, what has happened? And I'm like, <laughs> Rebecca, like they know they're supposed to be here today. Right. And she's, she's like, yeah, uh, I'm meeting Anastasia there at four 30. And I was like, okay, cool. And I was like, can you give me Jack Schramm's number? <laughs> I call Jack Shramps, no answer. Stassi's like, do not pick up. <laughs> and then I, then I'm someone else calls me that's trying to load in. So I'm like, have to table this crisis for a moment. <laughs> As I'm on the phone with someone else, here they all come strolling in. 
And I just, I looked at you guys, I just pointed at the table. I was like, I can't look at you right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just so you know, Dave dared me to do that. But I mean, then you did it, and they wouldn't allow me to back down. You loved it. So good. So good. And yeah. so I said, I feel like I've been initiated into y'all sorority now. Yeah. Hey, whatever happened, to, uh, so uh, like also, Nastasia and I, of course, by the way, <coughs> set up in, like Jack and Nastasia and I set up in what? Like we were set up and oh, we were yeah. like, well, okay, we're done now, what? So we go out to get some sort of food, and we find a five-kilo bag of super fancy soba flour yeah. on the sidewalk in the middle of Brooklyn, and we're like, this has to be for the event. Like, this, I, get a text, I get a text yeah. from Nastasia that says, we found buckwheat flour. No context, <laughs> and I'm like, huh? And then she's like, "Is it? does it belong to someone? And I was like, of course it does. We have a soba table, which was awesome. So thanks for picking so up So when we flour. just walk back in, we're like, we, no one was at the table because I'm sure they were out looking for their flour. He didn't. He didn't know. We, he didn't know we lost it. Oh really? Oh Jesus. Yeah. You know what's really hard to make without buckwheat flour? Soba noodles. <laughs> <laughs> Soba noodles. Very hard. Very hard. All right. Wait. So are you going to talk more about the so, pitch? So very quickly, our we're doing our gala's over, but we still have a little bit of time left in our end of year fundraising drive. We're trying to do it bigger and better this year. Um, we're trying to get many, many members because next year is our 10-year anniversary. Did you guys true? know that? No. I did not know that. 2019, HRN's turning 10. How long have we been doing this show? I think you're at like eight years. Didn't you start around 2011? I don't know. I, all I know is, is that very early on, I came on Patrick's show. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, that's back when he would anyone that would come on his show, he would ask them to do a show. Totally. You should do a show. <laughs> Remember that? Like, I'm like, what? <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, that we're going to be celebrating, like, all year long, doing lots of fun events. Um, so, you can become a member and be a part of all this by going to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Do you guys have any thoughts on why people should become a member? Why they should support cooking issues? Now's your time. <laughs> Nastasia's like, I'm no, I can't think of any. <laughs> I'm thinking. Can't think of any. I don't know, what do you think, Stas? I don't know. Eh? <laughs> like, I'm that guy. I, like, I'm just a bad person. I don't know. I, support it Support it if you like it. Eventually, we're going to be like, okay, no more pizza. Goodbye. <laughs> and we don't want that, so you should become a member. <laughs> you know. What do you, I don't know. What That's, do you think? I mean, you give the pitch. Yeah, I mean. You're the one who members? literally, like, your whole livelihood depends on it. So why don't you give the yeah, pitch? Yeah, I mean, that's true. Well, because we have 35 shows, I know a lot of people maybe don't listen to other shows on the <laughs> network. They should. They should explore HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Um, but members directly support all 35 of our shows, including Cooking Issues. And they keep everything on the air. Like, we couldn't do it without members. Oh, speaking of Heritage Radio, uh, in the lead into this, they talked about meat and three poisonous foods. Yeah. And I could tell, obviously, because anytime someone says poisonous food, what's the first thing out of people? Fugu. Go, Fugu. Uh, my name's Fugu. I'm served in a cup. You cook me wrong. I'll f you up. You know, yeah, I'll get it. But That's clever. Yeah, my wife has had Fugu, by the way. Mm-hmm. I would love to have Fugu. But uh, it reminded me, it just struck something in my head. There was a video years ago I got from Japan. And maybe this is where Miracle of Moisture Management came from because the title of the video was The Miracle of Poison Removal. Hmm. Because if you take fugu rosacs, poisonous, you ferment them for a long period of time and bacteria consume the tetrodotoxin and make the, 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 egg, the egg sacs uh, edible. Hmm. Yeah. Wait, what does that have to do with membership? Oh, just thinking about other Heritage Radio programs oh. that you might listen to. Yeah, you should listen to Meet and Three for sure. 
Um, Dave's been on it several times talking about water and other Museums. things. Museums. Museums. Here's something here's something you should think about with poison. So a lot of foods, like plants specifically, and there's been a lot of published stuff on this recently, uh, but a lot of the, the compounds that give herbs, for instance, their like special pungent flavor, <laughs> like mint, for instance, the mintiness of it, right, is there to prevent bugs from eating it, right? It's like poison against bugs, and so we eat it in a smaller relative amount to our body weight, so it seems okay. So uh, when we were doing our first exhibit for the Museum of Food and Drink, uh, like the crew, we were sitting around and we were trying to simulate this for flavor. We were talking about flavors. So we're like, well, what is it like to be a bug on a mint plant? And so we all took pure mint oil and we took hits of pure, pure mint oil. And we're all like, ah! Ah! And that's what it's like to be a bug. So you could do that test yourself. <laughs> if you really want to know what it's like to be a bug chewing on a, uh, you know, a piece of spearmint. Where else could you learn things like this other than Heritage Radio Network? Yeah. And that's why you should support our programming. Yeah. All right, yeah. that's my pitch. All right, there you go. Thanks, Dave. All right, no problem. Dave, you already have a caller on the air. Caller, you're on the air. <coughs> hey, Dave. It's uh, Josh from Norfolk, Virginia. How you doing? I'm well. Uh, so I don't know if Nastasia is still doing the poll, but for what it's worth, I'm 28, married, and my wife likes food and drink too, so she lets me buy like whatever the family show I want. There you go. Good for you. There you go. Hey, did you guys get the snow there too, or did it stop before it got up to Norfolk? Uh, we're coming back from Raleigh right now, and there's a ton of snow, but we just got some like terrible rain. Uh, all right. All right. But it's, all right. Uh, so my question is about uh, proofing Hustinos. So, like, I know it doesn't change in, like, a closed centrifuge, but uh, in a spinzol when making, like, banana hustinos or whatever, is there a reliable way to calculate proof on that with it being an open container? No. Because I tried to use a hydrometer and it gave me some, like, terrible, wacky stuff. Okay, so, no. No, you can't because you're adding sugar. Like, what, what I have done is I've measured just straight evaporation amounts, and so with... When you're using, first of all, open bucket centrifuges also, we would also get evaporation, especially people who had non-refrigerated centrifuges. If you have a, like the way to really reduce evaporation in a, in a commercial centrifuge is to put lids on your, on your buckets and refrigerate your centrifuge, right? And that tamps down on it, you know, almost entirely. In the, uh, Spinzol, uh, you want to make sure that you have uh, all of like the gasket really firmly on the bottom, the the intake top lid down on, and I even put uh, uh, what's it called um, saran wrap over the over the output pipe, and I make sure that the tube feeder is on. And when you do that, you also got to make sure that your uh, your product is below either at or just below ambient. It could be colder, but doesn't really help. You know what I mean? So you want to have it be uh, at ambient or below because the, the, by far and away, uh, what the, what the Spinzol wants to do is bring your product up to room temperature as quickly as possible. It doesn't heat it in the same way that, uh, let's say, uh, a spinning bucket rotor does because there's not nearly as much friction, but it brings it up to temperature very, very quickly. So if your product is warm at all, it'll evaporate a bunch. So I've only done like evaporation tests and having it without the tube feeder lid in it and all of that, you can get very high evaporation rates, like 10%. 
And then if you do it right and keep your spins as slowly as possible, you're, uh, with alcohol, that is, you can get your evaporation rates down to, like, you know, under 5. So it's re- that's really the only way to test it. The other way you could do it is by using, uh, like, an alcohol refractometer and, and just spinning plain spirits, right? Uh, but once you add sugar to it, Right, so you're talking about there's two losses of proof, right? There's a loss of proof theoretically because you're adding liquid to it in the form of, I don't know, let's say bananas or dried fruits. And then there's a loss of proof because of evaporation. But, you know, the evaporation one is the only one you could really accurately test because you could do it when you don't have sugar in it. Anything else, it's very hard to properly measure. But I'll have you know that I'm trying to work uh, – I got to talk to the guys in China. I'm trying to work on a uh, on a lid – for Hustinos that seals it entirely just around the shaft. So if you're doing batch mode Hustinos, you'll get almost no evaporation. And it should be uh, easily, uh, what's the word I'm saying, uh, uh, retrofitable to old and new because we're not changing the, the dimensions of the stuff on our second printing. Printing, second run. Does that make sense? Cool. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Uh, is there any like appreciable loss of proof, you think, into like the, uh, the pup? I mean, I mean, there is alcohol in the puck for sure, but like you know, there's also like it depends on what you're spinning. Give me an example. So like uh, strawberry mezcal hustina. Yeah. So like the fact of the matter is, is that what I tend to do is I tend to assume uh, I tend to be conservative because there's some evaporation, right? So what I'll do is I'll say, okay. Uh, I'll take the strawberries, even though the strawberries are really only like 85% water or something like this, 90% water. I'll just take the entire base of the strawberry as water weight, and I'll assume my proof dilution is basically, you know, strawberry, uh, you know, plus liquor. That's the new weight of product, and the original amount of alcohol is there and distributed equally between puck and liquid is usually how I just do my estimations. And then, you know, that's conservative because obviously there's solids that are left behind and those solids don't have alcohol in them it's trapped in the water and and liquids between them but there's also evaporation and so I'm, uh, yeah i try to think that well you know maybe you know if you add those two things together they kind of wash themselves out of it we now bring you our bob's red mill food fact of the week potato starch is a starch extracted from potatoes. Well, that's a tautological freaking statement, people. But I'll tell you something about potato starch. I like potato starch for a lot of reasons. Potato starch swells enormously versus other uh, starches. Uh, And so it's got kind of unique properties. If you look at potato starch under a microscope, it looks very different from other starches. And I really like dusting things in potato starch that are going to get fried. It has a very particular friable texture that I enjoy in a lot of applications. Also, potato starch is what they call hygroscopic. So if you include potato starch in recipes, you can get effects similar to what you get in like Martin's potato rolls or something like this. So you can make kind of um, that kind of like chewier, denser, water-loving feeling that you get 
in like a, a potato roll or something like this. So you can use it in baking, you can use it in frying as part of your uh, coating mix or all. Typically I use it as part of the coating mix, but I really like using uh, potato starch in um, frying applications. Thanks to Bob's Red Mill for supporting cooking issues. Visit bobsredmill.com to shop their huge range of products. Use Cooking Issues 25 for 25% off your order. That's Cooking Issues 25, no spaces, 25 is a number. All right, caller, you're on the air. Hey, uh, Michaela, 26, out in Seattle, Washington, and stars for your poll, I am trans female, so I don't know if you've had one of them yet, but hello. Uh, I had a question about, I really want to replicate a um, camp pie that my grandmother always made growing up, but I'm now with a partner who can't eat eggs, and I've tried like three different goes at it and getting something that isn't just like a mucky sludge out of it. Um, Your phone clicked for a second. What kind of pie was it? Pecan pie. Oh, yeah. Okay, now here's my question. Yeah. A bunch of questions. Are you a nuts on top with goop below or are you a nuts all the way through pie? I'm a nuts all the way through. All right. Uh, yeah, so what can you do to get rid of the egg? I'm going to have to... First of all, anyone in the I, chat room, help us out on this. I mean, it's probably going to be... See, the, the thing is, egg replacers... I don't know a lot about custard-based egg replacers, but you'll have to look at, like... Because uh, fundamentally, you want to make something that's relatively custard-like. I mean, I know that pecan pie is more... A little harder of a gel than, than most custards, but most of those egg-free custard things are some... Some starch base, you know what I mean? Some form of, uh, huh. Yeah, I've tried Bob's Red Mill egg replacer. It's potato starch based. Um, it was a, not a good goopy mess. Uh, I've tried a different egg replacer that was pea protein based. Um, also not good. I tried making it more like just like a cake, like a really wet cake with flour in it instead. Not, not a good choice. Yeah, um, no, yeah, you're not, like, so... Those egg replacers are mostly trying to replace the functionality of egg protein in a leavening and binding sense, not yes. in, not in a in a custard based sense. What you want is like 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 probably like a tapioca custard kind of a thing, or something that is mimicking the more custardy texture, which requires the yolks. It's more of a soft set kind of a a, a situation. And I have done these before. I just don't have them at the at the tip of my tongue. Uh, I mean, there are specific starch bases that are made specific. You know, they're made specifically to do this. But a standard egg replacer isn't going. To, this is what like I like to tell people all the time. There is no egg replacer that will replace everything that an egg can do, right? And specifically, right. the ones that you're mentioning are for a a different, a completely different uh, application. Uh, I'm just trying okay. to think if I know off the top of my head something that will do it. I, I don't. I mean, there's plenty of there's plenty of like custard powders that don't have eggs in them, and I would try. Uh, I would just try one of those. Like, even if something just just as a test, don't waste a whole pie on it. But like, is, are there eggs? Yeah. Are there eggs in Mighty Fine? Someone look up Mighty Fine and see if there are eggs in Mighty Fine. Uh, and then, okay. of course, you're going to want to go more brown sugar on it than their kind of uh, normal vanilla hit. Sorry, my uh, I'm a little stuffed up. I got so I'm gonna sound a little bit uh, might be hard to understand what I'm saying. But uh, 
don't know. I'll look it up. And if is anyone on the in the chat room? Is anyone there? Is anyone alive, Matt? But anyway, we'll think about it, and then uh, hopefully uh, I'll, I'll try to come up with some good stuff, and maybe uh, if you follow me on Twitter, I'll try to Twitter it out to you, or, or shoot me something on Twitter, and I'll see if I can find any good, uh, uh, any good recipes and shoot it back at you. Sounds good. I'll hit you on Twitter. Cool. Right, thanks, thanks a lot. Dave. All right. Bye-bye. Nothing from the chat on that one. Ah, chat room. Where are you when we need you? All right. So we have a question in from Jane in Toronto. I like Toronto. Toronto's a good place. Nastasia, you've never been there, right? Mm-mm. It's so close. Why have you never been? I don't know. Wasn't that the one time when you had dinner with a radio show fan? At, uh, at, at the Momofuku joint there, that five-floor Momofuku. Well, remember, I had to, remember they were doing a, uh, a film festival, a food film festival, and they're like, what movie do you want to talk about? I with think I worked festival? with you on that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I was like, Willy Waka! And they were like, Christina Tozzi already took that. She's like 20,000 times bigger than you are, so crap on you. You get Soylent Green. I'm like, but, she's like, you can choose any movie you want as long as it's Soylent Green. I was like, Soylent Green? I'll choose Soylent Green? So I went to that uh, Toronto Film Cube. Tiff, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, watched the movie and then talked about it. People get Soylent Green entirely wrong, by the way. I've never seen it. You should watch it. I mean, uh, People get it completely wrong. They're not murdering people to make the... That, people are like, oh, they murdered people to make the, the Isn't food. Isn't that anesthetized people? Or are they, uh... No, look, they, they encourage you to kill yourself, that's yeah. for sure. But they don't murder people for the Soylent Green. Instead, it's, oh my God, we destroyed the planet, we're about to die, so we have to chum up human beings and make them into food or we'll run out of food. That's the story people it's not about the murdering people don't they the get food. to see what the planet was like as they're dying like what it was before oh they go into some sort of sensory yeah. deprivation tank and it's like i love love happiness yeah and they die anyway like to me like that's just good recycling use but it's like a perpetual motion machine like you can't feed people from people it doesn't it's not energetically favorable you know how many pounds of people it takes to grow a person like a lot. Like, it's called feed conversion ratio, people. So right now, chickens for animals, it, it takes, listen to how crazy this is. Chickens are grown in about six weeks. It takes less than, ready for this, less than two pounds of feed to make a pound of chicken. Think about that for a second. Think, think of how big we'd all be if it took less than two pounds of stuff to make a pound of us. You know what I mean? So people, incredibly inefficient food source. Not to mention ethical problems, of course. Anyway. Those pesky ethical problems. Yes. But Toronto is super close to New York. So close. They have a good Chinatown. They have a lot of good stuff. I really liked it. That's where I learned the Canadian bacon that we've been, you know, maligning Canadian bacon for all of these years. It's actually quite good. Uh, anyway. So this is where this has nothing to do with Jane's question. It just happens to be Jane's from there. All right. yeah, so, so far we've gotten to nothing. Jane is from. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what Anastasia likes to do? Anastasia is a sound person's worst nightmare because she loves to sit next to a microphone and rub squidgy things. She's in a booth and she's wearing a freaking parka and going squidgy, squidgy, squidgy. I have to be on conference calls with this lady in China. And she doesn't put it on mute, and she rattles pots and pans around. And we're trying to have these engineering conversations. And by the way, 
their internet connection in China is so bad. How bad is it, Nastasia? So bad. That we can't ever understand. Like half the thing, we're like, I can't understand what you're saying. You know what I mean? And then like, and then she's like rattling her pots around. And now on the radio, she's like, let me just scoogey in my parka. Let me do the. Let me do the wine Santa dance in my park. Shoop, 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 Nastasia should get into ASMR. What's that? It's uh, the thing on YouTube where people like, when people like rustle brushes. Oh, I don't like that. Is it as bad as spores and mold? Yeah. Oh, mm. by the way, so in the wake of the uh, David Zilber fermentation thing, I, w- I went home and I had accidentally bought like five times as many tomatoes as I needed. And so I was like, ah, crap on it, I'll ferment it. Remember that, like, years ago I made the uh, fermented salsa? Yeah. So now now I've started fermenting again. And my wife's like, really? I'm like, yes, really, really. Anyway, back to Jane. Uh, hi to the Cooking Issues gang. I received an infrared thermometer for my birthday a couple of months back and want to get more use out of it cooking-wise than just checking that my water is the correct temperature when I'm making matcha. I understand that it reads surface temperature. But what are some practical applications for it in the kitchen? Uh, love the show, and thanks as always, Jane from Toronto. All right, well, I mean, I use my infrared. Uh, I use it, what do I use it for? I use it to shoot a lot of times, like the inside of, a, of my ovens. I use it to shoot uh, when I make stone bowls. But this is not normal applications. Like, I'm trying to think of a normal person application for this. And because I'm not thinking of a normal person application for this, instead I will go through my usual diatribe of mistakes people make with infrared thermometers. There are uh, two main mistakes people make with infrared thermometers. One is not understanding what's called the emissivity of your infrared thermometer. So infrared thermometer is measuring, uh, it's measuring the, the light coming off of uh, an item. It's looking for a specific wavelength and it's correlating that with the temperature of the thing, right? And Here's the problem. Water, they're, they're all calibrated. So like different objects, right, have what's called different emissivity. And you, if you think about it, it's, it's uh, you know, how, how, you know, how to explain it normally. Basically, a high emissivity means that it's going to register a higher temperature. It's going to get more of that uh, light coming off at, uh, at a particular temperature. And a very low emissivity, which usually corresponds to very reflective metal surfaces, is going to mean that relatively little of the light that you're measuring is coming off of it. And so low emissivity, things like aluminum, metal, very hard to measure with an infrared thermometer. So people try to read a dry pan, a dry, aluminum, a dry stainless steel, dry aluminum pan with an infrared thermometer – getting wild, wildly inaccurate readings, right? So the emissivity of something that's called a perfect black body, so f- flat black spray paint, is one. Something that is completely, you know, the other direction, like the shiniest, shiniest metal, is emissivity zero. Something like a stainless steel aluminum pan is like 0.05. Most of the food that we measure is 0.95 to 0.97, so most, in- uh, most infrared thermometers are calibrated to that emissivity and you can't change it. What that means is is that different foods are going to give relatively different uh, readings, not o- only on their temperature, but based on their emissivity. Luckily for you, water, which you're measuring for matcha, has a fairly, uh, because it, it's not clear at infrared temperatures, has a fairy, uh, fairly uh, you know, uh, close emissivity to what it's measuring. Things like glass don't necessarily. So you can't measure the side of a piece of glass and get a good uh, reading. Uh, pans do not. Uh, if you have a, a bare pan and you want to measure the temperature, let's say you're going to fry an egg or I mean like I 
when I fry an egg or fry whatever, who, who else does this? The old school where you just take a drop of water and throw it at the pan? Is that what everyone does or is that just me? No, everybody does that. Yeah, that's what I do. I don't bother measuring it. But if I really care, I'll measure it with an infrared thermometer or I'll sometimes measure the temperature of my uh, large griddles with an infrared thermometer. So cast iron, black cast iron, good. Add some oil uh, if you're going to measure a pan. Even a little bit of oil, uh, like like five thousandths of an inch of oil brings your emissivity from 0.05 all the way up to like 80%, 0.8%. Right, so any more than that, you're bringing it up to where oil is, which is like 0.95. So that's the first thing is like figuring out what you're measuring. Also, uh, you you can't measure through anything, right? So you're literally, if you were to have, if I was to sit here and try to measure the forehead of this knucklehead wiping his eyes sitting at this table here waiting for his freaking pizza to come, I can't because the glass, all it's going to measure is the glass, right? Uh, the second thing people get wrong or don't think about on infrared thermometer is what's called the aspect ratio or the field of view. So someone will stand like 10 feet away from an object, point the laser, for instance, at Cat's head and try to measure her. But what's happening is, is it's measuring a large cone and usually on the side. And so it's an average of Cat, the, the wall, everything else. What you want to do is get as close as you can with the infrared thermometer. And what I usually do when I'm buying an infrared thermometer is make sure that I have a very narrow field of vi uh, view so that it's getting a very narrow spot. Does that make sense to us? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's good, good, look, non-contact thermometers are great, but they can't replace, they can't replace everything you need. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's also hard to get a non-contact thermometer that can measure very, very, very high temperatures. So if you're trying to measure, which, by the way, is another gripe I have. People are like, my boiler is like 5,000 degrees. No, it's, what does that even mean? It doesn't have any meaning. Trying to directly measure the temperature of like, of like a combustion element and trying to relate that to how hot your food is is almost, almost meaningless. So uh, anyway, whatever. This, I, I could talk for you know, hours and hours because I have to worry about this with things like Searsols and crap like this. Can I ask you a question about like a digital thermometer, like sure. meat thermometer? Sure, sure. Do you ever have to worry about that becoming inaccurate? Uh, yeah. So, like, if you're working with it, typically there's two ways to calibrate your thermometer. You can do the, the boiling water, uh, where you're, you're putting it in boiling water. Uh, the only advantage of that is that uh, it also, uh, you know, sterilizes the thermometer while you're working. But uh, you ever held your hand directly over a pot of boiling water for a long time? Yes, indeed. Yeah, no. it sucks. Sucks real bad, uh, and, and like the other thing is, is that the is that the temperature of boiling water isn't actually uniform. It's like the very bottom of it. The top of it's usually cooler. The bottom, so you have to stir it for a while, unless it's rapidly boiling, and then it's really hard to hold your hand over it. Sometimes the steam can mess with the thermometers. It's like it's a nightmare. Uh, much easier is the ice technique. So you get some. Everyone's like, you have to use distilled water. Garbage, garbage. Just use as long as you don't live. As long as your water is not like you know salt water. Don't use ocean water. You know water and like crush up some ice. And you want like a lot of ice and water. You stir it. Keep stirring it for like five ten minutes. It should drop. And you can see how close you get to zero. It should be at zero. Uh, you know, tenth or two above. You know, we keep stirring. If you, as soon as you stop stirring, the temperature will start to rise. So you just keep stirring with it, and you can hold your hand above ice water forever. So I always do ice, and not uh, not the other way around. Dave, yeah. Can you get in one more caller question? Yeah, sure. Caller, you're on the air. Oh, hey, this is Wes calling from Washington State. How are how you? Doing? All right. How you doing? Hey, um, one quick back request. Would you be willing to post a Professor Plum spec if I have a spinzol and can make it happen? 
Yeah, so that's uh, five to one. Uh, I think it's five to one. Could be four to one. I think it's five to one. I'll double post uh, of uh, pitted prunes. Get the best pitted prunes you can get. Pudo Daniel, like French or whatever. Get like a good high sugar, okay. yeah, tasty good. prune. You know what I mean? Uh, blend it with a Pectinex Ultra SPL. Right now we're using Elijah Craig bourbon. We've used other things, but we're using Elijah Craig. Uh, and then uh, spin it out. That's it. And, you know, that goes over a uh, rock with uh, a little bit of salt, a lemon and an orange twist, both uh, both in the glass. Cool. Thank you. Um, I I emailed you a little while back about um, glycerin and Darcy O'Neill says that it can help to solubilize some ingredients. Like he was using it for a bitter cherry phosphate, I believe. Um but using it as a dissolving base so as not to extract too much cyanide. And it seemed really weird to me, and I didn't know if you didn't thought of that. Yeah, I don't. I, I remember that somehow, uh, seeing that. And uh, no, I don't know. I mean, look, he's a chemist, so he probably, probably knows what he's talking about. But yeah, I don't have any... Uh, first of all, it was still extracting it and then just adding glycerin into the mix, right? So the, the idea here he is... Was a- is that, yeah, people that you know, is that, is that, glycerin. what is it, like, in straight glycerin? No, like, a, whatever, one to four glycerin to water or something. Right, like so that. still got the water in it, so I don't really know, I don't really know what the efficacy of that is, or whether, whether he studied it, or whether that's just something people used to do back in the day. Right, uh, but in your mind, it's just a bodybuilder, right? That's what I use it for. I mean, so there are, there are some uh, old, uh, I forget who told me this, but someone once told me, uh, story maybe apocryphal about uh, who is it was it uh, Trader Vic or someone like this uh, this had a bet with uh, this cocktail he was making a high proof cocktail and the cocktail you know he only allowed you to have two and this guy said he bet he could have three and Trader Vic doped one of his with a huge amount of glycerin and the theory being that the glycerin was going to make the alcohol affect you more or something like that or it's going to wipe you out but I, you know I don't I don't even think that's necessarily true, but that is a story that goes around. So there are stories floating around of glycerin having more of an effect uh, than I use it for, but we're using glycerin in very small amounts uh, strictly for bodying, and it is fantastic yeah. for that. It's like 0.1% by weight. Is that right? Uh, we don't ever use more than probably half a percent. So it's like anywhere between – you can start with that, but you know we go sometimes up to a half a percent. But that's a lot. Okay. Yeah. Otherwise – and also you can blind taste it. We blind taste it. They do taste different at the different suppliers, and they're all vaguely yeah. sweet, but you want to try one that's relatively neutral. Some of them aren't so good. All righty? That's one. All right. Cool. All right. Cool. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Time to go. All right, well, listen, before, on the way out, I'll answer this one thing. Caesar wrote in and said, sorry for the barrage of carbonation questions. I need to know what gas line I use. He, he's looked at uh, AccuFlex K31505 yarn reinforced PVC. No! People, I don't care what everyone else does on the internet. Don't use PVC hose to put, like, liquids through. If you're using it for gas, fine. Just gas, fine. Uh, but if you are going to put liquids into it, right? So if you're going to have a liquid system for a carbonator, only use BevFlex polyester reinforced po- uh, polyester reinforced polyethylene beverage hose with an EVA jacket. If you're putting liquids through it, that's the only way you're not going to have terrible 
aroma and taste uh, unless you like really to wash it out for a long time. Some people may not notice it. For me, pe- putting liquids through that PVC is a nightmare. Now, I've heard that if the tube's been around in the factory for a long time, it's gotten rid of all of its ter- terrible aroma and it's fine, but crap on that. So, But if you're using just gas, the AccuFlex PVC is fine, but I only put gas through PVC and I, I always put liquids through polyethylene, uh, uh, braid-reinforced polyethylene. All righty. See you next week. We're good? Yep. Next week, Cooking Issues. Next year, Heritage Radio Network is turning 10. For the last decade, we've been committed to bringing listeners around the world the very best in food radio, for free. Our small staff and incredible network of hosts work hard so that listeners can tune in each week to hear the important conversations in food policy, stay on the cutting edge of cocktail culture, and hear the latest updates in food tech. But there is no HRN without the support of listeners like you. Become a member of Heritage Radio Network today and help HRN get a strong start to our second decade. Choose from exclusive member gifts and stay in the loop on discounts to upcoming events. There's no better time to show your support. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate and wish HRN a happy birthday.